Okay, welcome back to School of Science Radio. Um, no Gino this week, but um, I'm here, Matthew Chandler, with um, special guest this week, David Hughes, who's a football scouting and analysis writer for Reach PRC. Um, watching this, you, probably, you might probably know David from his uh, tactical analysis pieces at the Echo and writes about various clubs and various places as well. Uh, yeah, good to have you, David. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing quite well, actually. I'm, 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 I mean, I'm pretty warm at the moment. Um, you know, it's at the time recording. It's still pretty muggy. I don't know when you plan on putting the, uh, uh, putting the episode some swell to it. So I'm praying for a little bit of rain tonight so I can get some sleep. So we thought we kind of, obviously, with like the uh, season over and kind of the news kind of dying down a bit. I thought. We'd kind of take the chance to kind of look a bit more back at last season and ahead of this season from a sort of tactical point of view. Um thought we'd start with talking about, obviously, since Ancelotti came in, uh, you've written quite a lot about this, um, for the Echo, about the changes that you've seen and, and this sort of um, the flexibility tactically you've seen from Ancelotti since he took over. Um, what would you say, like, so far, what you've seen from Everton, what would you say, like, like changes tactically we've seen? Um, well, I suppose the obvious one would be the form. Now, pretty rigid in terms of relying on that four-two-three-one formation. You know, it's pretty much exclusively you know all he played. Um, I'd say just just touching on Silver. It felt as though the characteristics that his Everton side has, it felt like he was trying to play like a like a top side. And what I mean by that is, you know, Everton looked like they were trying to dominate possession of the ball. Um, and they tried to prog- kind of press aggressively in both those departments. They went quite high in the Premier League, uh, and they're both, you know, as I said, characteristics that you associate with top sides. Um, it didn't work out. Uh, then we saw, saw Ancelotti come in and he kind of picked up on that short stint with Ferguson brought in the 4-4-2. You know, Ancelotti's basically been exclusively 4-4-2 since he came to Goodison. Um, you know, it's a formation he was playing at Napoli as well. Um, I think certainly in those first couple of months, the idea was just making Everton, you know, uh, pretty pretty st- strong defensively. You know, making goals, um, and then, in terms of from an attacking point of view, just trying to utilise the likes of Calvert Lewin and Richardson up to up top. We've got you know pace, stamina. They'll they'll make plenty of runs for you and just go pretty direct with the ball. Um, you know, two kind of really different tactics there from Silva and Ancelotti. But as I said, I think Ancelotti was more focused on just getting a little bit more solid defensively, even if it was at the sacrifice of maybe attacking intent. Yeah, and I think one of the things you uh, you wrote about in kind of like profiling Ancelotti as a manager when he when he first came in was that he doesn't really he doesn't necessarily have a set style of play. He'll kind of adapt um, to, to, to different games and to different um, scenarios. I think um, I think we probably probably saw that best in the in the uh, in the Merseyside derby in June. I would say um, in terms of um, again. You kind of you kind of see the difference there between Silver's Everton and, and Ancelotti's Everton. I think um, where um, you know much deeper defensively, much more um, sort of set up to counter counteract Liverpool's um, threats. Uh, I mean, play such a high mm-hmm. line. I think um, I think that was kind of that to me is a sign of a more proactive manager I think, than we had previously. I think that's fair to say we've got that in Ancelotti. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a fair point. Now, the Liverpool game, I mean, it's a shame everything that kind of followed after that because everybody felt quite good after that result. Um, but yeah, I think it just shows a manager with a little bit more, um, what's the term I'm looking for here? A little bit more experience, maybe. Now, I thought I was I was at Anfield that night for the 5-2 and I was covering the game and, um, you know, Evertonians will probably recognise uh, the name Greg Keith, obviously, he's with the Athletic now covering Everton. You know, he's, he's also a mate of mine. 
Um, and within a couple of minutes, I turned to Greg and said, this is going to be a disaster because you could see from where we were, that line was too high. And, you, you, you know, you, you can't do that against the field. You've got so much pace in that forward, those forward areas that it was, it was bored on suicide, to be honest, from a tactical point of view. And, uh, yeah, I thought if you compare that game to the one at Goodison where Everton were a lot deeper, a lot more rigid defensively, and the line was, you know, played a much deeper line. It didn't really allow Liverpool any space in behind. And, you know, it was a pretty blunt attacking performance from Liverpool that game. I know we'd just come back from the restart, but um, to me, it just shows Ancelotti as a, as a shrewd manager um, and probably give a little insight into into how he works and how he's prepared to, you know, maybe do away with his own kind of, you know, philosophies on how we think Evan should play and focus more on nullifying the threat of the better side, which on that day was was Liverpool. Do you, do you have do you worry about like the style of play in terms of how attractive it's been, or do you think that's just a limitation of the quality of players he's had to work with so far? Uh, I mean, it's a good question because yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to directly. Um, Blame Ancelotti. Uh, I think what's interesting is, you know, if you look at if you really look at the underlying numbers of Silva, um, you know, in the first half of the season, Ancelotti in the second half, there's not that been been that much difference in terms of games in charge. Uh, Silva at fifteen ish, I think Ancelotti at about twenty, Vegas somewhere in between. Um, the underlying numbers are very similar between the two. Which, you know, you could potentially see as a negative against Ancelotti. As in, you know, how is he not kind of elevated this side to more than what Silva was producing? But I think, if, you know, on the, on the other hand, you could probably look at it as, um, you know, the squad is just really limited and there's only so much you can do with it. Um, and it does feel like that's what we've seen a few times. It, it, I haven't always looked at games and thought, he's tactically got this wrong. It just seems to be poor performances from the players on the pitch um, and you know I think the manager is a massive side but at the end of the day it's, it's the players on the pitch and they've got to try and execute the, the ideologies and I just don't think these players are the best at doing so Do you think like um, do you think the players he's got I mean obviously we're expecting the squad to be pretty different by the time next season starts well, certainly at the end of the window. Do you think, um, which for, obviously Ancelotti is quite interchangeable with what he, uh, how he sets teams up, but which which do you think suits the, the team that he's got better, sort of formation-wise? Yeah, so we saw them, you know, experiment, experimenting a little bit at the end, didn't we, of the season with the 4 2 3 one. Um and I think that is for the reason that you've alluded to a little bit there. Um, you know, Everton have been recruiting for a couple of years now for that formation. You know, they've got, they've got players who suit that formation. And playing the 4-4-2, you, you almost shoehorn players in there. You know, Sigurdsson isn't a, a natural centre mid in that role. Um, I don't think Gomez is either. Um, you know, there's one or two you could probably ring up, really. So, it's tough. I don't know what's going to happen next season. I, I really couldn't call it, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I don't know how he's going to play because he, he, he seems to prefer the 4-4-2, but then you've got players who left over from uh, you know, more of a 4-2-3-1 formation. Yet we expect to see transfers coming in, but is there going to be wholesale changes where you can deem the players left with their now surplus? I don't think so. So maybe... We're going to see a hybrid, or we're just going to see him kind of not stick to a specific formation. It might be quite fluid, uh, in which case you'll need to make sure you recruit players who can play a, a few different formations this summer. I think so. Yeah, I think um, obviously you said like the the last two games. Obviously, we won, beat Sheffield United, and lost to uh, Bournemouth playing that four-two-three-one. Um, I think that probably kind of showed. Um, how it how it like how it can play to Everton's strengths in some ways, and also how it can leave Everton um, kind of ex- not exposed, but kind of just uh, one-dimensional. I think we saw that at Silver, I think at times, 
in the four two three one, didn't we? Um, what I um, what I noticed in that four two three one is, I'm sure we'll get on to talking about Gomez in a bit, but I think that that midfield three certainly seems to suit him better. It seems to suit Sigurdsson a bit better as well. Um, whereas, like you said, I don't know whether it's a case of have the right players, right midfielders to play four four two, but or whether it's just a case of um, you know two in midfield just leaves us overrun. Because I think mm. that three, yeah, Gomez and lacks the legs. I think doesn't he? But um, just gave that bit yeah. of protection, like we saw with Gay last season as well. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, as you said, we'll probably come on to him shortly. But I think with Gomez, he, for me, he's just re- really limited. Um, and certainly in a two, I you know I just don't think he's he's suited to it. But you know, everyone forgets we haven't really haven't had a midfield at all this year. You know, it has been you've been you've basically been playing Gomez and Davis uh, for a lot of the campaign and. I think oh, Gomez would be a starter, but I don't think Davis really would because he hasn't re- he hasn't done enough for Everton over these last few years, and you're kind of relying on them in an already difficult kind of midfield too to, to to I don't know keep the sides together, keep it ticking over, closing down opposition attacks, and it's just really hard. It's a really important area of the pitch, and you can kind of you can put a lot of the issues Everton have had to to the midfield this year. There's a lot of it. Do you, it's a lot of it because of Gabamon's injury, do you think? Because obviously he was kind of pigeonholed as his gay uh, Mark II almost, and obviously gay was kind of... I always thought gay's passing range was quite underrated as well in terms of... He was obviously great at breaking stuff up, but he also kind of get things going the other way as well a lot, um, and kind of left Sigurdsson and Gomez focus more and what they're better at. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. I really missed that this season as well without those legs and that dynamism in midfield. Yeah, it was it was strange with Gomez. Uh, Gomez, sorry, it was strange with Gay because um, nobody seemed to rate his passing, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying it was unbelievable, but I am probably more inclined. I think it did, it did on occasions look really good, and you know, it, it did kind of kickstart moves for Everton. Um, but yeah, look, he was he was the, the the destroyer of the side wasn't he? You know, he was he covered so much ground. He was so good defensively, um, and yeah, whatever the probably the recruitment team, brands, whoever, they've worked hard to pick a replacement in Gabamon. Uh, um, and I don't think anybody could have foreseen the injuries he's had. You know, it hasn't been like a you know you could be more critical of the Delft signing because you're looking at a player there who's who's had previous in terms of injuries, but you know. Gabamon, I've got his injury record in front of me, but he's had two real freak injuries that you could just couldn't have predicted. And I think from that point of view, they've been really unlucky. I think Silva was unlucky as well in that sense because uh, he lost a really important midfielder early on. Um, might as well talk about Gomez then. I mean, you, I think you pointed out in one of your pieces how the Spurs game, it was four fouls and no tackles and... and as well as that, I think he only got his first assist in the in the Villa game, right right at the end, and uh, was the most dribbled past player in the league after it started. Um, again, I mean, is it just a? Do you think it's just a consequence of the formation, or do you think it's just the league is too fast for him, or do you think it's still like the injury is still taking its toll on on him as well? It's so you know. Believe it or not, people might might think otherwise, but I don't enjoy being critical of Everton players. You know, I want them all to to prove me wrong. You know, I want I want to see a successful Everton side more than anyone else. Yeah, and when you know, I, that, I assume the piece you're talking about was it was the one kind of in the middle of the restart, wasn't it? Um, yeah, or, yeah. Sorry, just after the Spurs game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people were kind of coming at me and saying it was a. Uh, you know, he's just come back from an injury. It's a miracle he's even playing. And I've had so many of them, them debates. But, and if people don't believe what I'm about to say, by all means, Google it. But I wrote a piece in March 2019 about Gomez where I basically said, look, I'm not sure this guy is kind of whatever they're after, certainly not for a huge sum of money. And that's because I think on his day, he's, 
he's a really slick ball player and when his tail's up, he's very elegant and he you know, he can be the best player on the pitch. But I think those games are few and far between. You know, if if things aren't going his way, Zed tends to drop a fair bit. His passing's unremarkable. You know, that's meant to be his most brilliant asset. But if you really drill down into the numbers, the, the passing is isn't anything special. It looks good. And I think what you, you'll watch a game and he'll pull off a few kind of piercing balls and they'll kind of stick in your memory for a little while and you'll that's what you'll remember. But on the whole, it isn't that great. So then you're thinking, okay, passing's decent, but nothing special. So what else have we got? Well, you've touched on it there already. We're not getting goals or assists from him. Um, okay, so what, what's he like defensively? Well, again, as you just touched on, not that great. So suddenly you're thinking, well, you know, it seems like a very average player across many different departments here. And you're talking about wanting to be a side who can kind of go to that next level and compete with the teams in the top six. And I think all I can say about Gomez is, I don't think he's a terrible player, but he just doesn't do enough to tip the tip things into the the win column. I guess he doesn't do enough to tip it in your favour. Um, and the reason I've picked out Gomez rather than Davis, as people rightly say, you know, Davis, Sigurdsson, they're all so much worse. I, I hear what you're saying, but Gomez seems to get a, a free pass from a lot of people, and he's even kind of constantly celebrated as Everton's best midfielder by far, and. No, I just I, I don't I don't see him as anything special, unfortunately. He might be Everton's best midfielder, but it's not really doesn't really say much. At the yeah, moment. that's that's not a compliment at the moment, is it? No, I mean I was looking through it. And I think <laughs> our, our five, I think our five midfielders this season contributed like the same goals and assists or something. It's a three centre half, which is pretty mm-hmm. normal. Yeah, it's I mean. It's one of them, you know, if if you're Liverpool, for example, and I was just starting to mention them, but, um, you know, their, their midfielders don't contribute a lot in terms of, you know, goals and assists. But that's not really, tactically, that's not why they're there. They're there to be kind of the, the engine room and break attacks down and kind of just be a really industrious part of the team. If, if that was Evans' midfield, then then fine. If we were getting goals and assists from other area of the pitches, then okay. But we're not. So we need kind of contributions. We need output from those areas, I think. Um, and yeah, as you touched on there, we're not really not really getting it. A um, couple of other players I wanted to highlight. Um, one was uh, Alex Awobi, who um, seems to get a lot more flack than Gomez does anyway. I um, I don't I think the consensus about Wobi is that he's not a winger but then I guess the problem with that is if you don't play him on the wing where do you where do you play him at all because he's certainly not a sort of deep midfielder either um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you do you kind of do you see a place for him next season Everton at all I wouldn't give up on Wobi but I'm past the stage of trying to blindly defend him because there's only so many times you can talk about a potential of a player when he's He's clocked up the amount of minutes he did this season and hasn't looked good at all, really. You know, he's had flashes, West Ham alone, Norwich away. I thought he played well in both those games. Ironically, in central positions, um, as you say, 4-4-2, there's no space for him. He's certainly not going to be a central midfielder. He's probably an eight in maybe like a three-man midfield. But um, are, are we going to have that next season? I don't know. I, I'm inclined to say let's not give up on them. You know, let's try and give them another year because they've spent a lot of money on them. They've tied them down on a big contract, so he's not going anywhere. And I think if he can get his confidence back up, um, you know, he, he can make things happen. Um, but, you know, pressure's on him as well. It's, I mean, it's not just a plea to Everton fans to get off his back. He needs to really work hard this year and he, he needs to show a little bit more composure, a little bit more confidence and, if if he does, then potentially we may get a, a good play out of him. Do you, uh, I mean, I think last season, obviously, Sigurdsson had like a good return in terms of goals and assists. I, I thought I thought he was good in parts. I thought it was other parts of the season where he was just completely anonymous for quite a, a string of games. Um, but do you, do, you, do you think Iwobi could do that job that Sigurdsson did there over like 
a longer term, like say over the course of a season. I think he's consistent. So I think he's a good ball carrier, but I just think I see have the end product. Yeah. He's not quick enough, or his delivery isn't good enough to be a winger. I don't think. Um, whether, yeah. No. Whether, I, 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 go on, sorry. Yeah. No. I just think whether he would get the sort of goal return that Sigurdsson got last season, or you know, have that end product from number ten. Say that if we if four two three one is the way Ancelotti goes, um, I'm not sure, but it does feel like that's the best. Yeah. Or, yeah. See, that what I would say though with that Sigurdsson last year is it'd be interesting to see what. Well, I've actually had a look. I just don't remember them off the top of my head. But it'd be interesting to see what those goal scoring and assists and general creative numbers were. Set pieces and uh, penalties from from the the record basically because I thought he, you know, his creation numbers were quite good last year. But if you if you kind of Filtered it down to to open play. He was nothing special, you know. He was quite. He was he's ranking fairly low actually, and that coincides with the point you made, where he said, you know, he was too invisible in games. I think you're right. He was. Um, so, oh, yeah, you know, Awobi doesn't take set pieces, so he probably would struggle to replicate that. But I think ideally, from Awobi, you want to be getting ten goal contributions a season minimum, really. Whether that be, you know, five. Five assists, five goals, seven goals, three assists. What one of the two? You just want to see him creating. Um, you know, I did not notice last season he was one of the top players in terms of attempted balls into the penalty area per ninety minutes. Um, now that's not successful. That's just attempts. Um, so it shows he has kind of got that ambition in him, but we just haven't seen it. You know, no, it, it just hasn't been there. He's been really difficult to defend. Um, even if he is getting played on the wing, he needs to do better. I agree, he's better through the middle, but he needs to he needs to do enough to at least be getting on the pitch and just showing that it's not going to be a fail transfer. I think, yeah, I think another fellow who is probably much more of a certainty to play, but it's the case of Wares with Charleston, I think, um, again, depends a lot on the formation, but from what you've seen of him up front and then also on the wing, where, where do you think his... Your best for him next season because he had that good partnership with Calvert Lewin, didn't he? And um, yeah, yeah. whether you want to give him more, more of a go or yeah, well, that's it for me. I think where Richardson depends, where Richardson plays depends on what happens elsewhere on the pitch. Uh, if you get Calvert Lewin and, and Keane clicking as a duo, then you probably pull them out wide, but then you know, are you nullifying your best forward? No, I, I, I like Calvert Loom. I think Richarlson's a, a superstar, to be honest. Now, I was I was saying last summer and before that, I think he'll end up going on to, you know, a, a Barcelona or someone a, a, a equivalent, a real elite club. And it's interesting that since I've said that, it, it seems as though Barcelona were inquiring earlier on in the year. Um, I'm not saying he's that level now, but I just think he will be one day. You know, he's still just 20. Is he still 22? 22, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, it'll vary depending on what, else, what happens elsewhere. It's good to know that he's versatile, that you could use him in the, either on the wing or as a forward, and he'll, he'll do a job there. But one thing is you need to consider is, for me, his game is about scoring goals rather than creating them. You know, he's only got two assists since he comes to Goodison. Um, even when he's on the wing, he's, he's really best on the left so he can cut in onto the right and get shot off a goal because uh, he's right footed so in short Sandy question I guess it just depends on what happens elsewhere but it's good that he's so versatile Do you think Jim is a difference in his sort of performance level whether he plays on the left or the right because obviously Silva moved into the right didn't he, at the end um, to accommodate Bernard on the left and then um, mm. he started on the left and then uh, it seems like left is a more yeah. natural position, but I thought at times uh, I think he kind of he kind of was a bit anonymous at times. I think on the right, I think so. Yeah, I think, obviously some some games, yeah. short, but I think I think of games like when we went to Burnley last season, um, when we went to uh, the Norwich game at home. Another example of that, um, mm. where he can kind of drift out of the game. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. 
but his, his, his profile is is better suited to playing on the left. You know, I feel like the days are gone of of wingers who are rifle to playing on the right and vice versa on the left. You know, a lot of it now, if you think of Everton, you think of those kind of wide forwards drifting to central locations and trying to get shots off on goal. And you, you, your wide threat comes from the full-backs, you know, Luca Dean and, say, Coleman or Sadiri on the other side. Um, that's where the, the kind of traditional crossing threat now comes from. And I think... Yeah, I agree. If you, if you put Richardson on the right and he's a right footer, it's going to be difficult to get kind of create unless you put unless he's coming in for headers. We know how good he is in the air. You know, it's going to be very hard for him to get shot off on goal from from that position. Um, so I'd, I, I'd I'd do my best if we could to rule out and playing on the right. You know, I think, and we might come on to this shortly. Uh, I think Everton needs to recruit uh, a new player on the right, someone who's a kind of top quality and. Richardson's either up top or on the left. Yeah, I mean, I think the consensus is that probably Theo Walcott's probably the best sort of natural right wing we've got. And again, like we were saying about Gomez, I mean, it's probably not the same much, but not your best, your best option going into a new season. Um, last player I kind of wanted to highlight um, away from the midfield and kind of the, the, the attack is, is Jordan Bigford because he seems to be kind of increasingly mm-hmm. dividing Evertonians as well. Um, I think a few stats about Pickford. I think he had four errors leading to goals, which I think only uh, Dubravka at Newcastle made more. I think only Kepper saved a smaller percentage of shots out of any uh, Premier League keeper they faced. I think Pickford's was something like 63% or something like that. Um, I, mean, I mean, what's your take on him? People seem to either love him or hate him. <laughs> So I've uh, I've been quite vocal of criticism of Pickford for a while. Um, I actually try and tone it down because I don't want it to get mixed in with the the abuse that he sometimes gets. I think in terms of play, he gets a lot. You know, from, especially from Liverpool fans and Newcastle fans, they're just obsessed with them. And it borders on you know kind of trolling and bullying, in my opinion. But it's the internet for you. It's difficult to police, isn't it? So I do try and keep my my on the pitch criticism separate from that so I do hold back sometimes because you know as a as a character I'm sure he's a really nice lad and you know I don't want to make him feel any worse um, but yeah you know there's a there's a, a semi-regular show that we host on the Liverpool Echo called Analyzing Everton um, a few people might have listened to it um, and you know we were pointing out as early as late last year that he's he's massively underperforming you've, you've touched on save percentages there Um his post shot XG numbers aren't good. You know they take into account kind of the shot you've faced and the, the quality of the shot. And he was he was conceding a lot more than he should have been. Um, and you know for, what you got to remember is this this statement may sound a little bit alien, but it is true. When when you compare football to other sports, you know basketballs, anything, footballs a really low scoring sport, and goals. You know, one or two goals tend to decide results, and the, multiple like statistical studies have determined that over the course of a full season, you know, a goal tends to represent one point. So if you're underperforming by and, and conceding eight to ten goals more than you should have, you, you're theoretically costing your team eight to ten points. Um, I think that's being Pickford. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think he's been that good in in any area really. I think his psyche's been a little bit off. You know, mentality hasn't quite been there. I think his shot stopping hasn't been great. Um, he tends to pull off a really good save, but then he'll concede a soft one, which is pointless. Yeah. Uh, and the problem, yeah, and the problem is, you know, goalkeepers are really important area. Um, you kind of see the transformations that other teams in the league have had when he brought in a really good goalkeeper, and it is concerning. And you know, I don't want to write him off. I'm, I'm hoping. I don't know what your thoughts are. I'm sure you'll you'll tell me now. I'm hoping he he can say in a corner, but you know it hasn't it hasn't been good. Yes, I'm not I'm not a fan of Pickford to be honest. I don't I, I think he's he's a good I think he is a good shot stopper for for the most part in terms of his re, his reflexes are good, his reactions are good. I don't I don't really see what else he, he really offers. I don't think I don't think his distribution is as good as people make out. Um, I don't mm. think he is particularly vocal or you know 
um, sort of authoritative, dominant goalkeeper. Doesn't really command the penalty box, or he doesn't seem to lead the defence. Um, other than kind of shouting at them when they've conceded a chance or something. Um, so, but I think the problem is, and we'll get onto this in a bit, but I think whether Everton can afford to look at replacing him or not this summer because of the other areas. I mean, at least you could, I mean, you couldn't say that at least we've got goalkeepers. We don't have, you know, beyond Luca Dina left back or, you know, beyond Theo Walcott or right winger, really. So, I think he'll. I think he'll stay. I just think maybe uh, it's a bigger issue than people realise. That's fair. Yeah. Or? Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. Um, I think because I think he's he really hasn't been echoed for eighteen months or so. You know, yeah. I don't just think this is this season because you can players can have bad seasons. Um, but fortunately for him, and maybe unfortunately for Everton. Um, yeah, you're right. We we Evan can't really afford to replace him because they've got all the problem areas that are a little bit more important. So I think he's gonna get at least another season. But it needs to be a good campaign. Um because if it's not, then he he, he probably he'll probably be one of the first things to fix next year. Uh, such as how bad I think he's been this year. So yeah, I think he'll he'll be okay this summer. Because um, Everton have got other things to attend to, but definitely, you know, twelve months time, if we if we see a similar campaign to to this one, then yeah, I think he's got he's, he's got to go. I feel like as well. I think the kind of the the age that goalkeepers reach that reach the peak now is probably younger than it used to be. I think it used to, used to see a lot of keepers sort of reaching their prime in sort of 33, 34, whereas. If you look now, if you reel off like most sort of world class goalkeepers now, they're all like 26, 27, maybe 28, or at least they reached, like they became world class at that age. I'm not saying Pickford is class or is going to be, um, but I feel like it's kind of it's, it's a really crucial season, this one for Pickford, isn't it? I think because um, potential, I, I didn't think he was great last season, so I think you're looking at potentially three, three pretty poor seasons in a row. Um, and Ancelotti doesn't strike me as the manager who will kind of have a lot of patience with him, the way the way that he acts on the pitch as well. Yeah, well, he, there was obviously come out, didn't it, that he he'd kind of some criticism or he'd had some sort of conversation with him. Um, I think that's the most frustrating part. You know, I think you can kind of you can get away with any sort of character when you're on top of your game. You know, people make allowances for it. People make allowances for the superb talents, but if you're not performing well, and you know you're pulling stupid faces, or you, you know you're getting getting wound up by the crowd, you're just very emotive. That 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 doesn't tend to wash very well. Um, and that's one thing, you know, his emotions. He doesn't always seem to handle them well. He was a player I was hoping with no fans in the stadium may have may yeah. improved. And we've seen some okay games, but. You know, Bournemouth at the end of the season was just really the icing on the on the cake of a pretty poor poor year for them. Does that do those like do his reactions and that bother you? Because, I mean, it bothers me, but I see people who seem to get more annoyed with people who get annoyed by it. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's, yeah, so it's not something to be wound up by. But I just find it. I just think it shows kind of lack of professionalism, maybe, or just lack of. Mm. Not that he doesn't care, but just not taking it seriously enough or just kind of brushing it off too easily. Yeah, I think the problem is for me, look, everybody's different. You know, we're in a world full of different characters and football's no different, but I see a goalkeeper, I see the area, you know, the position as a keeper is being integral, you know, and often you need a calming presence in there. You know, the defenders behind you need to know they can trust you. Um, you know, you need to be quite assured, commanding. You know, if, you, if you've got an erratic character behind you in goal, I think it just unsettles the whole back line. And he's been too erratic too often. And I think that does tend to rub off on the defence. And, you know, you can kind of account for this, that kind of behaviour in other areas of the pitch. But if you asked me one position, I'd want my keepers to be, oh, sorry, one position I want a player in the side to be pretty relaxed, composed, not very emotive. It will be the keeper. 
Um, and that's kind of really a contrast to what Pickford seems to be. Yeah, I mean, I get the impression he's probably a nightmare for people like Michael Keane or, or Yerry Mina half the time with the way you're... Mm. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I think he'll probably just just by necessity, I think probably get another crack at it this season. Um, obviously, mm. the window so far has been pretty quiet for Everton. Has only been the, uh, the, the left-back and Cuckoo um, who's come in. Obviously, missed out on Hoiberg, who... I saw you on Twitter sort of banging the drum forward with her. Um, I mean, were you, was he the kind of player you think Everton really could have done with? I haven't seen a lot of him. I don't know if he, people seem to compare him maybe a bit to Gay, and I don't know if he had the same sort of attributes as Gay had. Um, I don't think he was, I don't think he was, he was as good, no. Uh, I just felt he was a, he was a attainable upgrade uh, a, a kind of a risk-free sign for Everton. Um, you know, not. I mean, the fee was a little bit high, but not extortionate. And you probably knew that he was going to be the upgrade you needed. So, to me, it seemed like a good deal. But I've I've kind of summarised it over the last week where how how I'd probably best describe Hoyberg is he's a he's a player you're pleased to recruit, but he's also not someone that I think we cry over that we didn't get it either you know it's it's very much oh yeah nice nice player coming in or okay he's gone elsewhere we'll we'll move on to someone else it's it, it, it it's uh, yeah that's probably the best way i could explain it yeah he would he would have been a good purchase but there's plenty more equivalents out there uh that i haven't could target just don't ask me for any now <laughs> you uh have you been surprised though with how kind of Evan's lack of business so far. Um, I thought it might move a bit faster this summer just because of the pandemic and the sort of time constraints, but it doesn't seem to. Yeah. Really. I think it's also a really tough market. So that's that's what I'm not trying to make excuses for them because I think we'd all like to see a little bit more business happening, but. You know, I think there there is a little bit of caution because people don't, you know, clubs don't even know when the match day revenue and stuff is going to be coming back. Um, it's it, there is probably just an element of caution, even if there's no caution from Everton, there may be some reservations for other sides that they may be looking to buy from. They may be thinking, you oh, know, can we get a replacement for this player? And just a little bit of hesitation, but I'm I'm expecting once. Once a few big deals start happening, you'll you'll probably see a little bit of a domino effect where the floodgates open a little bit and we start seeing a fair few deals. Um, yeah, I mean, don't forget the windows open longer as well. It's just difficult in terms of getting people in before the season because it's a short turn around. Um, one thing I would say on the Everton point though is <clears throat> don't forget brands come out recently, didn't they? Uh, airing his displeasure at, at the leaking of targets to the press. Um, oh, he's basically saying that needs to stop. Although it makes someone like my job harder, I agree, uh, because you, you're kind of tipping off other clubs who who maybe were unsure whether to make a move for a play, but if they know that uh, you know, Premier League rival is going to put a bid in, it might prompt them to do the same. So I, I imagine Everton are still working, but they're just not letting it get out to the press, which means we aren't finding it until they're finding out until maybe on the day. But there's nothing wrong with that. That's what Liverpool seems to do and you know they've recruited really well. Um so maybe that's what's going on. So people shouldn't be too disheartened thinking nothing's going on. It's probably all just happening underneath the surface. I think also is I'm not saying Evan have to sell to buy this summer, but I think part of the problem going to be happy is, is getting people off the books. And I think if you look at who's left um, I'm not. I'm not sure how many more players they'll be able to get rid of, really, just because the contracts they're on, or the lack of interest that a lot of them will draw. I think. I think if if you want to get rid of players like Sigurdsson or um, Fabian Delph or, or even like say Tom Davies, something like that. I don't. Obviously, it depends as much, doesn't it, on like uh, you know people want wanting them as much as you want to get rid of them. So. Um, mm. I don't know where you think. I mean, we had we had um, we had Paddy Boylan from the Athletic on last week, and we kind of went through the squad. 
and talk about where Everton's sort of biggest area of concern is aside from the midfield. And we kind of just pick through the whole team pretty much. Where where do you think is, <laughs> where do you think is kind of the most urgent area after the midfield? Would you say? Uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose it, it does depend on what formation they're going to try and pursue because um, that might impact recruits. But I think you know places that definitely need upgrades. You probably say right wing, aren't you? Because Walcott's the best option there. And although I, I actually like Walcott a little bit better than others, but he's, he, you know, he's nothing special, is he, at this stage in his career? Um, do you, yeah, do you really need a, a right winger who's just got some output? You know, just will contribute, you know, five to ten goals and assists a season because I'm going enough for that. Um, a right back, you know, I think. Goes out to say, need a right back. Uh, Sadibi kind of was okay going forward last year, but didn't do enough to get a permanent deal. Coleman's finding Coleman really inconsistent these days. You know, something I thought he was fantastic into Liverpool, but then he's looked below par again in games since. Um, and then, you know, maybe some cover at left back. Now Baines hasn't signed the contract. Um, you know, it's, it's not an easy job really for brands this summer. You um, just. Would you would you go after another keeper, not necessarily to replace Pickford, but to challenge him a bit more than the what he's got at the moment? Yeah, if there was a deal there, yeah. Um, the problem is you're not going to spend big money. You're probably not going to get a decent keeper without big money. So you you're bringing in a, another kind of backup keeper. Um, which means that backup keeper probably isn't going to challenge Pickford, which isn't isn't going to give him that kind of competition to feel like he needs to up his game. Um, so if there's a deal to be had yet, we probably do need another little keeper in there. But it'll be difficult to get bring someone in to get excited about because I just don't think the budget will allocate for that position. Why would you bring a keeper in? Um, I I would if the budget, like you said, if the budget could stretch to that. I think. I don't know how much mm. obviously Evans' budget is stressed already by sort of the revenue they've lost from the end of the season and things like that. Um, so I'm not really that surprised or even like disappointed by the lack of business because it's obviously a real thing. It's kind of a hectic but also a really tough year, this one, to, to do your shopping. Um, so mm. we've already got Lossell and Virginia as well, haven't we? So I think. Like I said before, you kind of, you kind of, I guess you need to start by looking at areas where you don't even have bodies, and then, and then go from there. Really, um, just quickly, how how confident are you for next season then? In terms of how, in terms of how the team will do. Yeah. Oh, oh what would, what do you think a good season would be next year? Then it's probably a better question. Yeah, and so. <sighs> I think if you can try and get in the top seven next year, you'll do well because I thought maybe this season was a really good window to try and close that, you know, Melbourne finish in the top six. We saw Leicester achieved it. Um, Likes of Wolves, Sheffield United, a few others got close. Um, I think Manchester United have recruited well and obviously might end up getting Sancho. They, they, um, who else? I think Chelsea. They can sort the defence. You know their attack is going to be phenomenal next year. So you're probably saying, well, there's the top four gone. You're not going to catch either those side next year. Um, Arsenal with Arteta. I know it hasn't been perfect so far, but I think Arteta is going to do well. So Arsenal are going to be good again. Tottenham. Hard to say. You know Mourinho seems to have a sell by date, but. He tends to do okay in the first couple of years. So I just can't see Everton catching any of them. And then the teams behind seem to be decent now as well. You know, Wolves, Leicester, the good side. Um, I don't think Sheffield United will be there again, uh, but they might prove me wrong. So if we can if we can maybe try and finish top seven, I think that would represent a good season and win something. Need to win something. That's that's more important than anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. I think, yeah, I think you definitely need to maybe not prioritise above everything else, but certainly take the, like, the League Cup, especially a lot more seriously than Everton probably have in the past. Um, 
And I think yeah. it's unrealistic to expect us to go from 12 to, say, top six in one year. Um, but I think, mm. I think top seven will be really good um, first full season for, for Ancelotti. Um, yeah. Just to finish off, I just kind of wanted to ask you, obviously, you you do a lot of work looking at stats and things like that. Um, we, on our, on our site, obviously, we have a lot of, uh, guys who comment on and read who um, when sort of debating about what we've written about we will uh, draw up stats and and, and, and use them uh, quite a lot I just wonder like whether I mean how do you use stats do you use them kind of do you try and use them kind of sparingly do you think like if you use too many of them people can kind of kind of bog people down with, with too many stats and, and also do you think like do you, think you, do you think there is a problem with stats in that you can kind of uh, manipulate them to kind of fit whatever argument you want? Yeah, you know what? It's a really good question. And in fact, I'm, I'm kind of glad you asked it because it's my my stance has changed a lot recently. Um, now I get pigeonholed as a, as a kind of stats guy. And... I, I actually don't know if I am, and I, I use them, but that's because I see the benefit of it. But I think what what I found in, in in football, like the analysis side, is you've got a lot of kind of stats and people with backgrounds and mathematics and stuff who've kind of veered over to football, so they're very kind of reliant on the numbers and big believers in the numbers. Then you have the traditional fan who kind of you know think stats are you know hit and miss, whatever they don't read too much into them I'd like to think I'm somewhere in between um, but my my stance has definitely changed a lot since I've been working daily and pre- preparing articles and doing some legitimate analysis um, if I look back to my early days in this role you know to me everything was quantifiable in numbers uh, you know this play is the best ball carrier because he made four Progressive runs per 90 minutes last year, whereas this play is rubbish because he only made, you know, put five progressive runs per 90. But what I've come to learn over over time is, and certainly football club level, um, is that too many people treat data and stats as if we're streams. So you know, like if you studying a tennis player playing a game of tennis but when you actually consider the wider picture you know each player is is playing within a, a team specific tactics and they have a specific role within that so you start realizing that the numbers themselves can be impacted by that um you know you might have a wing back who, who has fantastic kind of ball carrying numbers and you might have one who's who's got poor numbers and now if you don't use an Stats, you're thinking, well, you know, the, the first guy's the much better player. But in reality, you don't know if the manager's saying to, saying to him, oh, your, your role is to be more reserved, you know, sit back and um, kind of maintain defensive solidity. So he's just following the instructions of his team, and that's going to, but that's going to impact his, his numbers at the end of the season. Um, so I guess to summarize, I'd probably say you know data is is huge in football. I think anyone deny. No, I think you you. You know, again, you put yourself at disadvantage. You need to really become accustomed to using data. But I also don't think you can formulate concrete uh, opinions on numbers either. You know, they should be used to kind of spot trends that you can then investigate further by actually watching clips and you know watching games. Um, or they should be used to maybe reaffirm reaffirm theories that you've kind of built based on watching the game. You know, if you felt like it felt like all the attacks were going down the right wing in that game, and then you have a look at a, a team's flank map and it says you know sixty four percent of the attacks went down the right, you're you're then merging both the, what you see and and the numbers to kind of put together. Uh, and yeah, I think that's what people need to realise, you know, that is really good, it's really important, but don't just be formulating opinions on stats and um, and numbers, really, you've got to try and use it with, with a wide 
the context. So were you were you always like um, you always go off first, like what you've seen before you go to start then? Because that's I mean, why why do is like when I write things, it's based on what I've picked up just from watching the match without reading about stats or anything like that. And then I and then mm. I don't use loads of stats, but I think if I ever use stats, it will be ones that kind of inform my arguments or my my mm. point. Um, Whereas I'll never sort of base an argument solely on stats or anything like that. I think. Yeah, I would say I'm probably the opposite in work um, because to be on that basis, I'd have to be watching you know every single game and trying to find you know what 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 the angle is within the game. It's not possible. That's where you know data is really helpful. So what I'll probably do is I'll spot like a you know a tactical trend or something. Ta- um, Analytically interesting. Um, you know, I wrote about. I'm sick of mentioning Liverpool on the podcast, but it's just how it's <laughs> kind of felt this week. But I wrote about for me, you know, because um, we had an expect expected goals of something like you know 13.5 this season, and you know he scored nine goals. So <clears throat> the question there is, you know, why why was that? Was he unlucky? You know, what what actually caused him to underperform? Um, so then I've, I've thought well there must be a story in this so I'm going to investigate it and analyse it and it turns out that using you know post shot at XG I'm sorry if this all sounds like jumbo to anyone I'm happy to if they want to send me a message I'll, I'll run through it with them but uh, I use that to basically determine and prove that his, his shots were just of a poor year by his standards anyway um, but that's a story that's kind of been you know I've discovered it in the numbers and then I've analysed the further to kind of determine the, the concrete evidence, I guess. Uh, and that, that's how I'd probably say I, I do my analysis and my day-to-day role. I use the numbers to spot things, but then I'll investigate further and see you know, why, why this is the case. What, what is that showing us? What's the story here? Yeah, great stuff. Um... Thanks very much for coming on anyway, David. Um, it's been great to sort of talk to you and get a sort of more sort of analytical uh, viewpoint of some of like Evans players and Evans tactics. So thanks very much. Yeah, and no, I really enjoyed the cheers, mate. Thank you. Um, people who want to check your stuff out, obviously your uh, your articles on the Echo website, obviously. Um, you're on Twitter as well. What's your what's your article? Yeah, it's a uh, at D A. Hughes underscore, um, you know, David Alexander Hughes. Don't give me no sticker, both have the middle name in there, by the way. That's literally for byline purposes only because there's another David Hughes somewhere in Birmingham who really? who's a travel writer and he, he, yeah, it's very frustrating. So I have to have Alexander in there, which I've took plenty of stick for. But yeah, David Alexander Hughes, and it's uh, at DA Hughes underscore on Twitter. Stuff. Make sure you give him a follow and uh, check out his articles. Um, hopefully, you have more sort of positive Everton stuff to write about next season. Anyway, <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Anyway, speak to you. Uh, speak to you again soon.